that was fun, wasn't it? We're going to talk about, uh, I think, Hollywood a little bit more on next week's program. Well, we've got to do a couple minutes today. First of all, based on the fact that I happen to finally see The Kid Stays in the Picture, the documentary uh, narrated by Robert Evans about Robert Evans, the former head of Paramount Pictures. We're going to see if we can't go to Hollywood and speak to our Hollywood correspondent, uh, Gail Murphy, about Mr. Evans, who's still active down in La La Land. But what I really want to say a few words about today is uh, a bit of good luck I had last weekend. I found myself in my hometown of Fremont, tending to some matters with uh, my dear mother. And at about 8.30, remembered that over at the uh, Niles Edison Theater, they were going to be showing Son of the Sheik, a famous movie uh, starring Rudolph Valentino, his last picture, in fact. I thought I got there a little bit too late, but it turned out they were showing some of the... Um, Shorts, which accompanied the main feature first, and so I arrived just in time to see the 1926 classic in its entirety. Uh, like you, dear listener, I'd always heard about Rudolph Valentino, this uh, this famous silent film star who died at a young age, and I probably that, that by doing so ensured his uh, being a legend forever. Anyway, to make a long story short, after seeing Rudolph Valentino up on the big screen, I I, I sort of get why he was a smash hit. He also, in the movie, plays his own father in a split-screen uh, scene or two where he has to play both roles. It looks very good. Surprisingly seamless technology for 1926. Quote from a review on the IMDb website from a man named Wes Connors who noted that uh, Valentino's character characterizations are startlingly well-crafted. No doubt many original filmgoers missed the nuances present in the younger Ahmed and would not have even guessed, unless alerted, that Valentino was also portraying the older Sheik. The split-screen appearance of the two Valentinos is technically brilliant, and even with makeup, Valentino's portrayal of the older Sheik shows an extraordinary range. In fact, Valentino could have essayed a double career as a dashing older man had he lived. This one, the filmmakers created a rich, dreamy, and imaginary world. This goes even further than the original Sheik in establishing the film as something incomparable with reality. This is the line I love from the review. He notes, of course, both films suffer when taken without a grain of sand. Anyway, I think it's absolutely wonderful that the, that the Niles SNA Silent Film Museum on Niles Boulevard in Fremont uh, uh, continues to show every weekend these wonderful old silent films in uh, an original silent, silent film theater, as we talked with... Uh, David Keene on this program previously about uh, Charlie Chaplin himself used to preview uh, uh, films in the very room in which you get to watch movies. And just as he did with uh, Wings, which I saw there a couple years ago, Frederick Hodges sat down at the piano and added just the right music. He had no uh, no um, uh, musical scores in front of him this time. He would look up what was going on, on the screen and provide the right musical accompaniment. I'd always heard about guys uh, doing this and, and the skills that the men and women who played pianos uh, in, in the silent film theaters had, but I never really saw it uh, uh, <laughs> quite the way I did on Saturday, and I was really knocked out by the process. And, and doggone it, we're going to see if we can't bring Frederick Hodges on this program in the future to talk about, uh, about what he does and, and, and does so well. And I hope those of you with, uh, with children will consider taking them to see some of these classics with Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, uh, Laurel and Hardy, and others. And we should note for the record that Edward McMillan's daughter is quite the fan of Charlie Chaplin. Uh, in today's era, you know, it's hard to get kids to watch something in black and white 
I realize, but uh, when you see some of the great acting and action that takes place in these old silent classics, uh, you know, even without sound, it's amazing sometimes what you see. I'm still stunned at, at some of the footage they shot for Wings, where they, these, these biplanes obviously really were dropping bombs. This was not something they simulated. They weren't dropping them on French towns. They were on sets constructed out in, the, in Texas to look like French towns, but man... It's not something that they do anymore. I'm, I'm sure of that. All right, we've got about, I think, all about five minutes left, maybe a little bit less. We want to talk about uh, this terrifying article on technology in New Scientist magazine from the January 22nd edition. Notes how websites that track your buying and browsing habits can seem to read your mind, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Future sites may attempt to gauge your personality and tailor what they show you accordingly. We're talking about that uh, when we talk about computer security, I think, in the not-too-distant future. I hope all of you had a good uh, Valentine's Day, which was, of course, on uh, Monday of this week. But the article by Shanta Barley in New Scientist noted that if you're worried that someone's snooping on your email account or tracking your movements, it could be your significant other. Apparently, researchers at East Carolina University in North Carolina asked uh, some undergraduates to complete an anonymous online survey in which they were asked whether they had used technology to spy on their partners. The sad results, 34% of women said they'd broken into their partner's email account more than once, whereas only 14% of men admitted to doing the same. The survey also found that women were more likely than men to check their partner's Facebook activity and cell phone histories. For their part, 3% of men responded to the survey admitted to hiding a camera in their lover's room, while 5% regularly used online cell phone trackers to monitor their lover's location. Yes, happy Valentine's Day. If you sent some of your uh, favorite people flowers, and, and I hope you did, uh, there's a good chance they came from near Bogota in Colombia. Wonderful article in Smithsonian Magazine about... Uh, some entrepreneurs that decided that the climate there was quite uh, uniform year-round, being in 8,700 feet yet near the equator. Let's say when Gordon and I were there uh, in, in December, I did note that, uh, yeah, there were an unusually large number of greenhouses around. Well, it's a booming industry, which began with some first plantings in 1969. Today, the country is the world's second largest exporter of cut flowers after the Netherlands, shipping more than $1 billion in blooms. It's been helped by the fact that the U.S. government in 1991 suspended import duties on Colombian flowers to limit uh, an effort to limit coca farming. The results were dramatic but disastrous for U.S. growers. In 1971, the U.S. produced 1.2 billion blooms of the major flowers. By 2003, the U.S. imported 2 billion major blooms and grew only 200 million. So I guess that story's a bit of a mixed bag. Let's see if we can't close today's show with some good news. Twin articles on the subject of uh, alien species. The current edition of Scientific American and the January 15th edition of New Scientist both point out that invasive species may not pose as big a threat as some think. New Scientist, in fact, cites a study by Laura Rodriguez at UCD, who published a study in 2006 of the impact of non-native species. She found that they help natives in many environments in a variety of ways, by providing new habitats and sources of food, by acting as hosts for organisms that live on and in them, and by providing services such as pollination. 
UCD's Art Shapiro has also found that 40% of native butterflies in Davis depend exclusively on non-native plants for their survival. It was noted that in the marshlands of southern Spain, red crayfish from the U.S. have become a major food source for, bir- for birds, otters, turtles, and fish, including some threatened species. Not to say that some invasive species aren't, uh, aren't disasters, some of them are, but uh, this article points out that both articles, in fact, point out that uh, this, this deserves a second look. If a species isn't causing any trouble, it may actually be doing more good than we think. Now, I'm not saying we ought to be putting Asian carp in the Sacramento River, but there are some knuckleheads that think we need to go out and cut down all the eucalyptus trees in California because they're not native. Well, that might be a real dumb idea down in Pacific Grove because apparently the monarch butterflies that congregate there every year, for some reason, are preferring the non-native eucalyptus trees to hang out on. Remember a couple years back when they attacked the eucalyptuses out on Angel Island in San Francisco Bay and whacked them all down in spite of the fact this made less habitat for bird species to nest in, etc. When we have more time, we'll talk about this at greater length, but uh, this is an idea that certainly does, in some instances, deserve a second look. Because of the New Scientist article points out, uh, looking at Puerto Rico, non-native species there are producing uh, basically what look to be very complex ecosystems in the rainforest environment, and yet uh, it's all on alien species. But what was thought of as a non-native weeds, like the tulip tree, have ameliorated the situation there by improving soil quality as they grew. The non-native species would also have attracted birds and bats as droppings would have contained viable seeds, etc. It appears that in these instances, the introduced species have helped restore soil and canopy conditions. So anyway, there's, there's a spot of good news, I think, to end the show on. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks to Charles W. Bamforth here at UC Davis for his most delightful talk about uh, the subject of beer, something I'm sure near and dear to the hearts of many of you. And I'm sure he'll be back at some point in the future. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. I got a lot of-